Hey, hey, hey. This is your host, Kristen B, and I wanted to welcome you to the untold stories of Black Bayou. And thank you so much for tuning in. And before we dive in, I'm just going to introduce myself real quick. We'll make it super brief, guys. But like I said, my name is Kristen B, and I'm currently an education major in Louisiana. And this summer, I was working on an internship through the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services called the DFP, or the Directorate Fellowship Program. And my project was on the Black Bayou Lake National Wildlife Refuge to essentially uncover the vast history of the land, the people who worked on this land, and also the people who are buried on this land. On the refuge's property, we have two cemeteries. One is called the Bufferin Cemetery, and one is called the St. Timothy Cemetery. So, before I got to Monroe, Louisiana, I was thinking I had a pretty big task at hand. And then when I got here, I still didn't know what to expect. So, <laughs> let's just talk about what my first week looked like, because, oh, what a week it was. And if you've ever worked for the government, or, you know, maybe you haven't, you know that in your first week, you're probably going to have to take that defensive driving course. And all I'm going to say with that is, if you know, you know. So anyway, that course clearly took up about two days of my time. But then after that, I was ready to hit the ground running. And so the first step was getting to know the refuge. And that actually included my amazing, wonderful boss, Aaron, driving me around, showing me everything, taking me to these cemeteries, and just being on the refuge property, being at these cemeteries where I, in my heart, knew that there were so many names and stories that had to be told. I was excited, I was a little overwhelmed, and I just... I couldn't wait to start digging and honor these people how they deserve to be honored because at the end of the day, that is the main goal of the work that we're doing right now is honoring these people because at St. Timothy, there's only one headstone right now, but there's believed to be anywhere from 75 to 100 people buried there, whereas the Bufferin Cemetery only has nine standing headstones, but that one's believed to hold anywhere from 200 to 300 people. So, let's dive right in, and I just want to thank you guys for coming along this journey with me. Let's go. My first day of research, I wasn't really sure where to start. 
because all I knew was there's these two African-American cemeteries, there's all these unmarked graves, but I need to find some kind of connection in order to get started. And so Aaron had pre had told me previously that there was a man named Mackie Freeze who kept up with the cemeteries and she believed that he had family buried there. So I put this little information in my little head pocket and decided, okay, that's going to be one lead, but I have to figure out how I can find this man. And so it almost turned into, if you guys have seen the show, you, that was me being a little bit stalkerish, trying to find this man. And, <laughs> you know, I was a little unfruitful at first. And so I started just researching the history of Monroe to see what information I could find that is connected to this refuge property. What information could I find that's connected to these cemeteries? Well, in town, there's a church called the St. Timothy Baptist Church. And even though it's about 15 minutes away from the refuge, something told me that these two had to be connected somehow. Because any time in rural communities back then, if there was a cemetery, there was typically a church and a schoolhouse, either right there in the same area, across from it, behind it, next to it, simply because people were living in a time where not everyone had a car. So everything was together so people could walk to school, they could walk to church, then they could walk to the cemetery if they were going to a funeral. So, you know, typically in plantation communities, it was like a one-stop shop. So my next goal was trying to figure out how are these all connected and how can I find proof that they're connected? So I, when I was digging through the city of Monroe's history, I came across this blog called um, Washita History Tidbits and, excuse me, Washita Parish History Tidbits. And as I was looking through this, there was a section dedicated strictly to the African American history in Washita Parish. And so, I was just perusing, going through all these articles, trying to familiarize myself not only with the area, but also the history of the area, seeing if anything was, you know, leading back to the refuge property. But I wasn't really finding anything until I found the parish's archive sites, which on the archive sites there was a section just for cemeteries and so as i'm looking at the buffering cemetery and the saint timothy cemetery i noticed that the same person inputted both of those archives and also several other archives i was just moseying through and her name was laura peppers so you know me little nosy so what did I do? I found her email. I emailed Miss Peppers and asked her if I could meet with her. I explained what the project I was doing. And so she was up for it. And next thing you know, I'm at the library meeting her. And she is a genealogist specialist. She's a blog writer, a historian, and just all around an amazing person full of so much knowledge. And 
honestly going to the library and talking to her and also I believe she's a research assistant but she wanted to remain anonymous so just talking to them about what I was doing being able to look through certain things and then just having conversations led me to Mackie Freeze again and so they both both asked if I had talked to him and I was like okay well here's that name again so again here I am writing this down again in my notes like okay I have to find Mr. Freeze but no one has any contact information for this man and so I'm like it's okay you know I'm persistent I'm gonna keep digging and as I'm talking to the other lady in the office or in the library excuse me she started asking me if I knew who Reverend Wright was and Reverend Wright is actually also on the Monroe he works for the Monroe Free Press and he's lived in this area for his entire life and so she told me you know he will have a lot of information you should try to get in contact with him he'll know how to contact Mr. Freeze so I was feeling great I went on about my day I started calling numbers trying to get in contact with people and you know nothing but I was like it's fine not gonna get discouraged so I'm back in the office I'm still researching and I saw the name of one of the friends members and Ann Bloxham Smith and so my next step was going to be to talk to her because I'm like okay she's a friends group member she's on the board she probably knows so much I'm gonna talk to her well that was such an amazing meeting and I also just want to shout out Anne because she is truly a special person and same thing with her she asked me have you talked to Mackie Freeze so I'm like oh my god I have to find Mackie Freeze and as I'm talking to her she's just kind of telling me a little bit of the history of Mr. Freeze and so I'm finding out that this man is in the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame and not only is he in it he was the oldest member ever to be inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame and on top of that coached an undefeated coaching career at Richwood High School was drafted to the Dodgers like this man is a legend there's even a stadium here named after him so at this point I'm starting to think like okay maybe this man does not want to be found <laughs> maybe that's why it's been so difficult so still didn't give up and during this time I met with a lot of people in the community I compiled a list of people I felt would be beneficial to my research and you know I got with Aaron to get contacts I got with other people in the community to get contacts and you know I just started cold calling people cold emailing people looking a little bit like a crazy person because <laughs> it was like every time I talked to someone new I had to like give them this full spiel of this is why I'm being so nosy this is my job this summer this is who I am this is what I'm looking for and you know everyone was super receptive but I will say with a few people it took a couple of times of me calling just for them to answer because you know we live in a time 
where there's so many scam callers and crazy people. And I had to understand that because I don't pick up the phone for people if I don't know them. So I'm sitting here like, why is someone answering? And then I'm like, okay, right. It's 2023. We don't answer people we don't know. (laughs) So I had to also give myself grace because I'm very impatient and very nosy. So in my head, I was like going down these rabbit holes. I was ready to find all this information out. And I was just, you know, I took it and I hit the ground running. And that's another reason I really appreciate Erin because she gave me full autonomy on this. You know, she, she was like, look, I, she manages four refuges and with that we're also severely underfunded and severely understaffed and so Erin is the kind of boss that wears every hat on the refuge someday she might be the plumber someday she might be mowing the lawn another day she's doing administrative stuff but that could be at this refuge upper Washita it could be at handy break or it could be at darbone so you know when we had the conversation, it was like, hey, I'm very passionate about this project, but I can't sit here and hold your hand and guide you through everything, which I actually very much appreciated because, you know, no one really likes to be micromanaged, but also like I knew that I could do this with her support. And I'm not saying that she's never around because she definitely is. And she is so freaking supportive, but I liked that she gave me that independence to just research and dig and meet with people without having to ask her every single time, like, is it okay if I have a meeting with this person or should I call this person? You know, like I just took it and ran. And I think that that helped me a lot with this project too, just because oh, I'm trying to find the right words. I, You know, it just... I've always been a pretty independent person, but this really just showed me too, like, hey, you know, I am capable of all of this and I can do this, which I want to encourage you all too. like, you can do anything you set your mind to. If you are persistent, if you are determined, and if you want it, you can do anything. I'm going to say within reason, okay, like, don't go out there breaking laws and stuff, okay, like, That was meant to be a good, wholesome pep talk, not the other way. (laughs) Okay, but anyway, so by this time, it's probably about week two, and I'm just going hard with the research and doing everything I can. I even, I met with the executive director of the Louisiana Trust for Historic Preservation. His name's Brian Davis, and he's also an amazing person, and you know, he gave me a lot of guidance on different things to research and you know trying to find Mr. Freeze and just it was just a really good meeting and something else he mentioned was it's so important to record these histories once I did get in contact with Mr. Freeze so that was something that me and Aaron like both kept in the back of our minds because he's right you know Mr. Freeze is a six ninety six year old man and so recording those histories is not even it's not 
just important for preserving history but i also saw it as this is important for his family one day his grandkids and his great grandkids and his great great grandkids will have something to go back to and listen and be like hey like that was my great great grandpa and that was his stories of living on the plantation and so it's just this project just became my baby like so quick (laughs) and I just felt so connected not only to the land but the people here and everyone I was meeting in the community was really excited about this project and also you know like it's telling the story and the history of a side of this refuge that's never been told you know, yes, our visitor center is the plantation home and that we have the history about the plantation owners and the plantation home, but the stories that we're not telling is the backbone of this community when it was a plantation because this home wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the people who lived and toiled on this land. None of that would have even been possible without them. And that's previously enslaved people. That is the sharecroppers, the tenant farmers. That is everyone who kept this plantation going. And we have to tell that side of the story. Because here lately with history, it's as if so many things are trying to be erased. Or so many things are trying to be swept under the rug for fear of people being uncomfortable hearing that. And honestly, I find comfort in uncomfortableness because how are we going to grow without being uncomfortable? How are we going to not repeat the same mistakes that our country has made for years if we are not not only uncovering this history, but educating people about it as well because You know, this is an entire community whose history has just sort of vanished. And something I actually found out recently was that before this land even became a refuge, city services actually owned it. And, you know, they tried to clear St. Timothy Cemetery and uproot it all to make a sale. And thankfully... Some family members of descendants and people buried in that cemetery fought for them not to do that. So at one point, there was more than one headstone out there. But again, someone tried to erase that history all to make a dollar. And you know, as someone who is multiracial, I'm black, Cherokee, and white. You know, there's two sides of my history where both of those people have had their histories tried to be erased and not only that you know torn from their families their communities and I just feel like that's another reason why I'm so passionate about this because I feel like I'm able to give back to a community who is so deserving and also some extremely deserving people as well and so again I just kept talking to more people I kept digging doing more research I was on ancestry.com newspapers.com and 
I finally found proof of the school that was out here. And the name of that school was the St. Timothy School. And it was actually inside of the church that they had right next to the cemetery out here. And so I'm finally able to find these things. And it was like one lead led to another. And then that lead led to 10 other leads. And so it was like every little piece of information I got, even no matter how small it was, led to something else. And I actually met this man who runs and bikes on this property. He's an older man named Hugh Tucker. And he is also just an amazing human being. And so I met with him because his family actually owned land near the refuge when he was younger. And so, you know, he's been out here for the majority of his life. And so this man just knew so much and having a meeting with him was amazing and he was like you know what let's go to the courthouse once once we get done here and we can go by the church too and so we went by the church which keep in mind I had driven past the church in town the St. Timothy Baptist Church several times and every time I drove by no one was there because I was like you know what I'm gonna go talk to someone but every time I drove by no one was there and this is a small church so it's understandable you know there's not going to be someone there all the time but Mr. Hugh gave me gave me hope again (laughs) and so we drove by there was no one and so we went to the courthouse next and we started looking through conveyance records looking for some sort of information about the church and its original location but the only deeds we could find were from 2009 and so I will say that did discourage me slightly because in my head I knew that the church had moved to town way before 2009 but I was really trying to figure out when exactly it did but as I'm flipping through these deeds I notice a name on the deed And this name was for the agent of the church on the sale. And guess whose name that was? Mr. Mackie Freeze. So I kind of had like an oh crap moment. (laughs) It was like, okay, so now I know for sure that this church is connected to this cemetery that's connected to this man. It's all connected. And I really like wanted to cry in there, but I was like, all right, keep your cool. We got this. But even though it was something so small, it was a major breakthrough for me because I finally was able to see physical proof of the connection that the church, the cemetery, and Mr. Mackey Freeze had together. And so something told me, you know, there has to be something else. And so me and Mr. Hugh went and we looked at the, the, you know, I don't know if I should be sharing this because this is like extra level stalking. So I'm going to say, take this information, but like, don't be like me when it comes to like your boyfriend or your girlfriend or somebody, you know, like only use this for actual research purposes. But we found the most recent address for Mr. Freeze. And so we went to the address. We knocked on the door like a couple of crazy people. 
And we waited. We waited for a little bit. No one answered, which, again, same thing with the phone calling. Would you, would you answer the door to someone you don't know knocking? Probably not. So <laughs> we waited for like a good five minutes. And you know in Louisiana heat, that's a long time. Okay? So let that tell you about dedication right there. And so finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to leave a message on this little ring camera because I saw a little light swirling around. And I was like, you know what? I'm either going to be leaving a recorded message on this ring camera or it's going to look like I'm talking to a brick and I'm okay with whatever, you know, either or. So I sat here like eye level with that camera just giving my whole life story basically and I have Mr. Hugh in the background like give them a way to reach you give them your phone number which I just want to say if you've ever met Mr. Hugh Tucker then you know how much of a gem that man is but so we left and you know my shoulders are all slumped I'm very sad because no one answered the door and that's okay but Mr. He was like, well, you know what? We can knock on the neighbor's doors and see if they know him or if they know how to contact him. So I'm like, okay, that's a, that's a good idea. And as I'm backing out of the driveway, I slammed on my brakes, probably gave Mr. Hugh like a mini heart attack. But what I saw on the mailbox is what made me stop. Because on that mailbox was the last name freeze so again here I am trying not to cry again because for one I'm an emotional person too it took me a lot of time to get to that point and so because by this time that's about week four and a half week four and a half week five and so <laughs> Mr. Hugh had no idea what was going on he just saw me slamming on the brakes he heard the gasp he didn't really know he was freaking out and I was like okay hey so sorry this this is why I'm freaking out so we both just kind of had like an aha moment and then you know we decided to go back to the church because it was on the way back to the refuge and lo and behold there was a car there this time so I'm like freaking out internally because I just feel like, is Mr. Hugh my good luck charm? Because this was all in one day, y'all. One day. And so he's like, okay, you go knock on those doors. I'll go knock on these doors. Because there's about six doors. And so here we are, acting like crazy people again, knocking on all these doors. And it was like the gates to heaven opened because the door opened. And it was like I couldn't even, it was so surreal. I, I couldn't believe, I was like, okay, this door is actually opening right now. Someone's here. But then I look and it's a bunch of children. And so I'm like, okay, where's an adult? <laughs> I need to speak with an adult, please. And I see these two ladies in the back. So I go and I'm like breathing heavy because I had ran up some steps and I'm also like freaking out because I'm like, oh my goodness, here's more information. So I'm telling them <laughs> who I am, all about the project, 
trying to breathe all at the same time. And my first question was, is Mr. Freeze affiliated with this church? And they're like, yeah, we just saw him yesterday at church. And so insert heavy breathing again, also freaking out. And so the daughter of this woman tells me like, hey, give me your information. I'll give it to his daughter so you can get in touch with him. I'm like wanting to cry happy tears all over again. And by this time, Mr. Hugh comes barreling in, starting to ask the same questions I did. And I'm like, hey, it's, it's okay. We, <laughs> we got it now. And so all in all, that was probably one of the best days of this summer just because for one, I was able to find connections. I was able to find Mr. Freeze and uh, it was just so many things. And to be honest, I also felt the biggest sense of accomplishment with that because I had a man in the community tell me that Mr. Freeze had passed and there was no way that he was still alive. And I also had historians and other people that I had met with in the beginning of this project tell me that, you know, you can do ground penetrating radar, but you're not going to find anybody. And, you know, trying to find names and stories of deceased people, like it, you're not going to find anything, you know, you could find a body count, but that's probably it. And, you know, most people would probably listen to that and get discouraged, but I listened to that and took it as, okay, watch me. Watch and see what I can do. Which is a lesson to all of you. Don't let anybody tell you what you can or cannot do. And unless it's like the law, then definitely follow the law. But when it came to that, I was like, I'm not going to sit here and let this person discourage me and tell me that I'm not going to find anything. I am going to find all the things and I'm going to keep trying. And I was like, with persistence, like I mentioned earlier, you can do anything that you set your mind and your heart to. And that's what I did. You know, I was so dedicated to this and got that far and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to write this man a letter now that I have his address. Because before all this, I had found a bunch of phone numbers for Mr. Freeze and called every single one of them. Like, a crazy ex-girlfriend. Left messages. Sent texts. Never received anything back. And I was like, you know what? It's fine. May not even be his phone numbers. <laughs> but... I was like, okay, well, we'll go like snail mail. We'll go old fashioned way and I'll just write him this letter. And so I wrote this letter, I put it in our official envelope, made it look all good. And something told me to try Facebook again. Because in the beginning of this, I had messaged two of his sons on Facebook that I found telling them about the project and you know, telling them that I wanted to get in contact with their father, but the messages, ne they were never even opened. Which again, it's social media. If you receive a message from someone you're not friends with that you don't know, you know, you're probably not gonna open that. And if you do, you're probably gonna think, is this a scam? Like, no sir, I'm not trying to sell you a vacuum or anything. <laughs> I'm just trying to find your family's history. And so what I did was I went to his daughter's page 
and I went through one of her pictures and found every single family member I could and sent them all pretty much a blanket message of who I was, who I'm working for, what this project entails, and just can I speak to your father? And when I, okay, pause because some people got, can I speak to your grandfather? Can I speak to your uncle? Can I speak to your father? Like, y'all, every, every family member I could find. Okay. So there was a lot of copy and paste in there. (laughs) And so the first person to respond was actually one of his granddaughters. And I'm not going to mention her name. It just, but she is incredible and she is so sweet and was so excited about this project and just talking to her and forming that relationship with her was just super rewarding because a lot of her family's history she didn't know and so being able to share with her her great-grandparents names her great-grandfather's draft cards for the war like it it made me extremely emotional because she was getting emotional and it just was amazing. And so as I'm talking to her, one of his daughters responded. And so now I'm finally talking to his family members. Everyone's on the same page. They're going to try to see if he wants to talk to me. And if you know me, you know, I'm very impatient. (laughs) And so after these conversations it had been a couple of days and i had to go back home to shreveport because i had to be in dallas the next week and as soon as i get home i get a text from aaron and she's like are you are you sitting down i'm like no do i need to be sitting down and she says yes sit down so i'm like okay i'm sat what what is going on i like And also, if you know me, you know that my mom, I was instantly thinking the worst. I'm like, okay, someone, something happened to someone up there. I'm like freaking out because don't tell me to sit down and don't tell me what's happening. Like immediately, I'm freaking out. So then she proceeds to send me a screenshot from the intern who works in the visitor center sometimes. Mr. Freeze and his son had came to the refuge looking for the girl who's been asking everyone about him on the day that i left yes isn't that how things always happen though it's like (laughs) you're building up for something and then it happens either when you're gone or (laughs) the probably the worst time you were expecting something and so it also included their phone numbers the screenshot and so I did not waste any time. I called them. I called his son immediately and got to speak with him and Mr. Freeze on speaker and schedule a time for us to talk. And, you know, I was supposed to be in Dallas that week, the following Monday. I actually pushed my trip back, which, you know, don't use me as an example of a great work-life balance because your girl doesn't always have the best one. So, like... Also, what I've learned through this project, set boundaries with yourself. (laughs) Take time off when you're not at work. Don't work. (laughs) But anyway, I felt like I was meeting 
a celebrity. So I had to push my trip back. You know, I had spent six weeks at this point trying to track down this man and get in contact with him about the history of this refuge. And I finally did. So what did I do? I sped, no, I didn't speed back. I went the speed limit back to Monroe so I could meet with this man. <laughs> and that first day of meeting with him, again, probably one of the best days of my life because for one, I was able to see my own hard work and determination turn into something tangible like meeting with this person who I have researched all summer, whose family I researched for six weeks. And it was just truly incredible. And he is such, such a humble person and an extraordinary human being. And that's where I'm going to leave you guys today. So... Tune in next time to find out, one, how our meeting went, and the rest of the history that I've been uncovering. Alright guys, I'll see you next time.